G'day, welcome to Radio Notes, where those in music talk life, those in life chat music, and more. Our feature guest today, Jeremy Neal from Queensland, is coming up, but first... In the box. From the Bitter Truth album, the first new one in nine years from Evervescence, comes the new single Wasted On You, music recorded in the studio until that was not an option. And even then, by other means, they've continued to work on the up-and-coming full-length release. This cut shares a lyric with the title of the album. The letter L, that's E-double-L-E, a singer-songwriter from the same locale as today's guest, Brisbane, they've returned to the music scene with Sunrise, a song that they say, on reflection, they wrote for themselves after an injury, a vocal disorder, prevented them from singing. It's also after recently graduating from university. The film clip shop along the beaches of Coulomb in the Sunshine Coast, their patch of hometown, as they say, was where I became who I am and where I truly felt at home. From Island Records, down below from Tory Foresight, Angst and Paranoia in One, the alt-rock reckoning of rational thought that kills logic of interpersonal interactions on another. Written while Tory was recovering from surgery, the release claims a Shirley Manson for the modern era. Hmm, maybe another be more suitable, as the first still shines strong in my view. From Australia, Tory does provide a solid sound for their firm output. I very much enjoy their music. Shelley Manson comparisons aside, that's down below from Tory Forsyth. Hunter Kane has released their debut single featuring no less than Shane Nicholson, he of Pretty Violent Stain. It's called A Long Way From Lonely, written by Nashville-based Aussie songwriter Phil Barton. Listen out for Shannon Bourne on Dobro and Dylan Kinnear across the violins. While in the country vibe, leaning toward pop and another debut, though I'm debating that, that is a release coming from Portia Clark. It's called Fake Roses, produced by Craig Patelis, as well as Robert Jensen having a hand. It's stated to be based on a very personal story and appears, and this is where I have conjecture with the release in front of me, appears to be a follow-up to their 2014 single, Hope. Apparently, they've performed for two US presidents, Bush and Clinton. That artist again, Portia Clark. One for the Times, Let's Stay Home Together from Alex Sparrow includes folk wearing masks and sharing the last roll of toilet paper. What crazy times these are. Yellow hazmat gear and a swing in the river as well. Alex Sparrow's brand new film clip for a tune called Let's Stay Home Together. I'll have that and other details in the show notes for you. But now, let's head to our feature guest. Jeremy Neal, 2017 recipient of the Grant McLennan Fellowship, who stated at the time, I will do Grant proud and I will do the city proud, that city being their home of Brisbane, Queensland. Grant, the highly respected singer-songwriter and co-founder of iconic band The Go-Betweens. That accolade soon led to a trip to New York City and resetting of their life. We Were Trying to Make It Out is their latest album, follow-up to their debut under their own name, called Getting the Team Back Together, which featured the tune that was named 2018 Queensland Music Awards Song of the Year for Dancing and Romancing. On the line via Skype, 
Jeremy joins us for a chat. Welcome to Radio Notes. Hey, thank you for having me and thank you for getting a copy of the record. Today you join us on the back of We Were Trying to Make It Out, the second album which has just been released. At the time of record, you're in day 12 of isolation? I am. Um, and actually, it's, maybe it's day 11. I'm not sure anymore. I'm losing track of time. But either way, we got in early on the old uh, stay home campaign. Uh, basically, well, motivating factor, twofold. Obviously, I want to do what I can do for the country. But also, uh, my wife is pregnant. So we are being very cautious as kind of puts her in a high risk group for this one. So we're just uh, shutting down as best we can. Currently taking leave of that pay and just uh, bunkering down until I can find some kind of work from home opportunities. Yeah, it's a very peculiar time, but I, I imagine that uh, and we'll know when this airs that being safe and acting fast, I think, is the, the right thing to do. Yeah, we're hearing everything from a, a few weeks lockdown might be then a few months, but then we're hearing like a six month timetable. It's all very much in the air. And so it's hard to talk to it when you'll be hearing this in a few weeks from now. What we can say is you're one of the leading first acts of the Isolate Festival last weekend. Who are you looking forward to seeing at Isolate Festival this weekend? That is a great question. I mean, my, my friend uh, Hatchie's playing, so I'm going to tune in for that set. I think what I'm going to do again is what I did for this Isolate. I was fortunate enough to open the first one, which meant that I could then clock off for the day, pressure was off, and then I could just enjoy uh, what other people were doing. And it was a really nice thing too because I could just have it on the background while I did other things. Like it could be there while I was cooking, it's there while I'm cleaning the house. I think that's a really nice kind of way to do it because I love to multitask. The question thread was fun too, or just dropping stuff in there with other people that are watching too. It's weekend two of, we should explain, this is basically 24 hours of live music across a weekend using that Instagram live feature, using that as the broadcast medium, something that television just isn't able to do with live Australian music. No, maybe they will uh, in the content drought that is going to be upon us. This may be the future. There may be some kind of reality TV show where everybody is uh, a contestant from their own home. You know what I mean? The Bachelor is going to be giving me digital roses, which I look forward to. What did you get from doing Isolate Festival last weekend? I think that one of the greatest things about performing is that while you're performing, you are 100% present and engaged, and it reminds you of all the things that you love about community and doing music. Whereas, you know, sometimes left to my own accord, I think that without projects to focus on or without performances to, to work towards or whatever, I can tend to be, I guess, my own worst enemy in a lot of ways. I think in the last couple of weeks I've been consuming four hours worth of news or five hours worth of news a day. So it's it's good to save me from myself, I think. that's If that's the one thing I got out of it, it's to be engaged and doing something that I really love doing. And I think it's really heartening to see that other people wanted to receive um, that kind of performance as well and responded so well to it because I don't want to just clog up someone's feed. I want to be a source of value or entertainment when I'm doing it. And the fact that so many people did enjoy it is uh, really testament to that. And I guess what the future going forward is in the next few months, what kind of you know top-tier entertainment um, or connection can I then do and take on in the next few months that actually is of value. How did you engage the audience do you think how how did you feel the audience whilst you were performing your music during that uh, festival 
what I noticed that is if I tried to read the comments too much, uh, I would forget what chord to play. I did see requests coming through, which was really nice too. But then, because it was such a short set, you didn't get around to them. But that was kind of like, well, tune in next time and I'll, I'll get through those requests that you had. But it's very heartening to see a lot of love reacts pop up on your screen. Sometimes the wow reacts, a variety. If you get an angry react, you're like, what did I do wrong? From the performer's perspective of running it, you do see that stream of reacts. Um, you do see how many people were tuned in at the time, and you do see those comments coming through. Um, you can respond to those questions in between songs as well. But also, like, it was a real opportunity to discover a bunch of new artists because there are lots of people. This was my first time interacting with their music, and that's so cool. It's like big sound, but in a very efficient, from the comfort of my own home setting. We had 72 acts last weekend, which is crazy. By the end of this, by the end of the weekend, you know, if you know 20 new artists, that's amazing. What's driving you at the moment as a musician to bring out another record at this time, in these times? It's very tough. Like, I know I have to give myself project work. I kind of dumped a lot of my sentiments of, like, the last decade really into this last record. So I'm kind of at a point now where I'm like, what else do I want to say? I feel like so succinctly and cohesively did that in the latest record. I feel like the events of now, there will be content to come from it, but I'm such a processor. So I do twofold. I, I experience things in my life. I process, I, process, I process them, sorry. And then I also take in, you know, like sonic references of music I'm listening to at the time. And I kind of put that into the machine. And then six months later, or, you know, four months later or whatever, that content starts to come out. So right now, because I feel like I've put so much emotional weight and thought into this last record, what I want to say right now is not a lot in song, which is very weird for me, but I do need to have projects to keep myself occupied. So I'm back on my silly train at the moment of, I guess, faux movie I was working on, T-Rex, back in 2017. Uh, I released a comic book um, for T-Rex, and so now... I'm focused on the sequel. What's T-Rex 2? What's the soundtrack to T-Rex 2? How much obnoxious Mark Wahlberg style hip-hop can I produce from the comfort of my own home? The ridiculous things that entertain me and hopefully that will then entertain other people because, I don't know, I think that's just the thing you got to do sometimes. you got to give yourself a project so you feel accomplished and you've got to try and entertain where you can. Once you're back in the real world, I guess, that of Backbone, the youth theatre arts, the anti-capitalist musical it's been called, the absolute objectivity, where's that at? What is it about? It's a real tough one to explain. It goes on a lot of tangents and crosses a lot of genres. I guess it is, yeah, anti-capitalist is probably the way to put it. It's very much a late-stage capitalism romp set in, you know, maybe 30 years from now where there's only one organisation who owns everything that is also the world leader as well. You know, you've got your, your, your own politics as they, as they already do, but now it's even more apparent because they have elected the world leader. You kind of have like your hero character, which is somewhat of a, a Bernie Sanders kind of symbolic character that's there to turn things around at world election 2054. But the comedy ensues, you know, the music kind of goes from 80s ballad to pretty obnoxious Beastie Boys kind of hip hop. You know, there's a bit of power metal in there. It was just a really an exercise in being able to write whatever music I wanted to be able to write around whatever absurd kind of uh, tangent we wanted the story to go on. Relevant for the times, maybe, uh, probably. When was your first introduction to hip-hop? It was a very probably a very light introduction to hip-hop. 
being that one of the first CD singles I ever owned growing up was multiple tracks by Coolio. I think I bought Coolio's one, two, three, four. <laughs> That's a, a classic romp. Uh, but I've always loved the Beastie Boys. Do you remember where you bought that single from? Uh, you know what? I think they got it from Big W. You know, obviously at the time as well, there would have been a number of uh, singles coming from the old powerhouse Brashes. Back in Brisbane then, once I got to my teenage years, we had quite a few interesting CD stores as well. You know, Skinny's, which is no longer around. Rocking Horse, which has continued. And as a kid, I got most of my CD singles from, uh, yeah, from that, that bargain bin in Big W. I also used to listen to, um, you know, whatever radio I could, and I'd have the... Uh, the double cassette function on my stereo and I would just record the songs I liked and try and get a real clean recording of them and then make my own little mixtapes from the garage. But failing that, it was really nice to be able to buy the CD singles. What was the childhood like? My childhood was interesting. I have a lot of nostalgia for my childhood, but it was also, I had a really kind of intense run, I guess. Like my father struggled with a lot of mental health stuff we were never in a very good financial position and my life kind of took a real, um, took a real big turn. My, my father committed suicide when I was 10 and that was kind of a real juncture point in the turning of my life. But I feel like my life was kind of chaotic up until that point anyway. My mum's very stable, provided a very safe space for us in all that. But um, yeah, my childhood was all over the place. So mm. thankful for the stability of now. Musically, though, good influences were put in the mix. My dad was always listening to records, so that was good. Lots of things implanted uh, themselves in my brain. A lot of great guitar music, which is what I pull off and enjoy now. Uh, my mum's listening habits were uh, more focused on Madonna and Paul Simon's Graceland, which is great because that stuff was like very much in my musical DNA. As you were going through teenagehood, what were some of the male role models then for you, if at all? Um, that's a great question. You know, I was fortunate that my mom ended up being with somebody who ended up taking on, I guess, was that kind of stepfather role throughout my teenage years and someone that was stable and, uh, offered great advice, I thought, and were very, um, considerate person. So I feel like I was fortunate to have someone kind of semi-step into that more direct role. And then as far as yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I was specifically looking for a role model. I think I was looking for direction more than anything. And so I think that obviously I probably had musicians that I would idolize. And I guess that's probably something that worked its way into the direction of where I would head. Who were some of those musicians that were possibly idolized during those years? Uh, I mean... I had ones that were from the core of my, very core of what I love musically and have always been consistent. You know, I thought the Beach Boys were the coolest band ever and still probably do, well, besides Mike Love. Um, but to Mike Love's credit, he does do a very good live performance with his version of the Beach Boys, um, but don't like the politics. I thought lots of stuff that was quite naff was quite cool because I loved, you know, 60s Mersey beat kind of stuff and I love, like, new romantic 80s music. Um, so I used to think all that crew were cool as hell. And then there was all the kind of like indie rock of the time in my teenage years that I thought was really where it was at too. Like obviously I thought the Strokes were such a cool band. I really idolised their musical output, yeah, for quite a long period of time. 
What are you looking forward to about fatherhood? I've always wanted to be a dad. You know, it's always been on the eventual agenda and now seemed like the right time. Obviously, now it's the most stressful time to be pregnant. But it is, uh, you know, I guess I just want to give, well, I've got a lot to, I've got a lot of love to give. But I also really want to, I guess, craft a really lovely experience in childhood for somebody, put them in a really stable place in which they can then go out and do wonderful things for the world. But I'm really looking forward to, honestly, mostly just the day-to-day of it, to have a focus that is present and now, to have a good, I guess, a hierarchy of what's important, which is, you know, it's just like my job is to look after a little one. I got to make sure they're eating well, they're uh, picking up great skills, I get to pass on my musical know-how, get to pass on some advice. Sure, that's cool. Yeah, I don't know, just... um, reconnect with those things like reconnect with what life is I think which is just being present and people in this case a little person part of your day job is working with children in a hospital environment how has that experience given you maybe a bit of a lead-in on what kids think my job is is working with with teenagers um, specifically the current generation are very cool they're very switched on they're very savvy thanks to internet culture you know they've all got cool sense of humor and they've got great direction, I think. Um, so it's given me a lot of faith in how good, you know, this current generation is and, and how good the future generation is going to be and the opportunities they have and the general sense of empathy and kindness that is in this new generation and openness and acceptance, which I think is wonderful, which means I think that even if the world's getting worse in some aspects, I think it's really getting better in a lot of ways too. Obviously, I'm very aware of bringing a child into a world that is no doubt going to face wild catastrophe from climate change. But I think in terms of people and the environment of which we're bringing people into and community, I think now is a wonderful time. Everything I Do is Replaced by Two is one of the singles that looks at the to-do list. Are you much of a pen and paper to-do list or do you let your brain do it itself? I think for my sanity, I have to be a physical to-do list person. I love to write it down on paper. Then I can see what I've accomplished throughout the day. I guess my biggest problem is that I often make the daily to-do list too big because I'm like, if I do everything today, then I am free of it tomorrow. You're setting yourself up for failure when you do that, which is what I've learned. I've learned that you've got to get that to-do list and you need to put a few things on each day and need to do them as soon as you wake up because then you start the day with a sense of accomplishment and that feeling lets you then accomplish more things. It's like an instant confidence boost that you carry with you throughout the day. And then if you want to explore things that you've divvied up for another day later in the week and you're feeling up to it, you can attack them and you can technically get ahead of yourself. But I think that you've just got to be really kind in how much you put on each day because otherwise there's a lot of potential there to beat yourself up for not doing it by the end of the day. Joined by Jeremy Neal, he has the song of the year 2018, a single called Dancing and Romancing. Have much time for those or either of those at the moment? Uh, Not a lot. Somebody sent me a message the other day and they're, they're making a film clip from Isolation and they were like, hey, I want to get a whole bunch of people dancing to this song. Could you just dance along for five seconds and send me a clip? Of course I will. And I imagine that when I do... 
I'm going to feel great because that's not something I've done for a little while. Romanson, look, I'm fortunate to live with my wife, so that's good. And I'm fortunate to also enjoy reality TV. So, uh, you know, seeing lots of other romance happening as well. Even in these dire times, there's still space for dancing and romancing. What romance TV has been keeping your eyes busy? Oh, look, I'm not ashamed of this, even though some people tell me I should be. Obviously, I've been watching Married at First Sight this whole season. Once Married at First Sight ends, I'll go into whatever's next, which I assume some form of Bachelor or a Bachelorette situation. I've never watched Bachelor in Paradise, but I could watch anything, you know? Really, if it take a little break from life for a little while, I think it's got value. In a good spot now, coming up roses, but how has romance treated you over the years and how much is your music a reflection of that? Like everything in life, uh, romance is really a trial and error. Figure out simultaneously what you're looking for in someone and also all the things that you need to fix about yourself. As you get better at identifying what you're looking for and how to make the optimal version of yourself, romance tends to get easier, I think. You know, there's been obviously a bunch of heartbreak along the way and there are upsides to heartbreak in some ways too. You know, I wrote the 2014 Velociraptor self-titled album pretty much all from one breakup. So sometimes good for productivity, even though harrowing on your general experience of the world at the time. But I think it is honestly, it is that mostly it's just trial and error. Got it wrong a lot of times or just, you know, just wasn't meant to be. And timing is very important too. You know, both people have to be in that right place as well. You want somebody to have ticked off a couple of their bucket list things so that they're not just with you in your whatever your white picket fence suburban dream is wondering what their life might have been like if they were living in France or living in New York or or whatever that that kind of dream that maybe you're holding them back from doing so it's good if they've done those things first so they don't have to wonder my understanding is the band format, even though you join us to talk about your second solo album under your own name, the band will have a new album out the later part of this year. We were going deep on trying to finish this record throughout summer this year. We've got everything to about 80, 90% on most of the tracks, but now finishing it is going to be the real clincher. Producer on the case is going to send us what we've got so far. We can kind of reevaluate from home, see if there's any stuff that we can patch up and then send back so that hopefully sooner rather than later, even if the release date has to be pushed back to early 2021, at least we could have a single or two out before the end of this year, especially in what is approaching potentially a content drought. Might be a good time for Velociraptor to say, hey, good day. We're still here. We still got tunes. Let you know that the future's bright. And as soon as we can all party again, let's party. Suggesting from that, your view would be it's still a good time to release music if you've got some music to release. If we can master it to its full potential, then I think that we'd love to release some music in this time. I think there's a few things I've still got, you know, like with that musical we were discussing before, like, you know, that remains unreleased at this point because there is no longer a way to do the auditions for the reading and performance of which. So whether that comes out in a digital format, that could be a thing that happens too. Whether I do make the ridiculous soundtrack to the T-Rex 2 film in this time, that could happen. As far as normal 
releases go, being a bit of a perfectionist about it, I want them to be 100% right before they make it out to the world. And if that means it's delayed, it's delayed. I think we can scavenge something together in this time for the start of a Velociraptor release. I don't think there's anything that I can do unless I drastically stylistically shift. I don't think there's a lot I can do as far as a Jeremy Neal record goes other than write it in this time. But my production skills are limited and kind of harder to do guitar music in this time, I guess, when I'm talking studio kind of vibe and and tracking everybody and getting those beautiful uh, three-part harmony takes. People have also suggested in terms of releasing music, if you can't tour it, which for many cases, that's where some of the money can be, the financial oomph that comes with releasing the music, then that then is a disincentive to put the music out in the first place. You're someone, my understanding is, that doesn't tour too hard. Give us a talk through about how releasing music and touring might be a little bit different in these times where touring really isn't an option. Yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, the the hardest part here is that I've released an album um, right on the cusp of this and I was halfway through an in-store tour that has been cancelled and also future touring plans that were going to happen with a full band throughout late April, early May uh, have also been cancelled as well as any other shows that have kind of cropped up organically around the release of the record. Tough part here is that you know, you've only really got that window of a few months where you can really push a record hard because either you fatigue out people without hearing about it or there's so many other things in the mix vying for attention that are newer and shinier. So it's a tough one here because you kind of miss that up in the window to make back at least some of the money so that you may be able to do another record in the future. Blanket kind of figure to make an album I have found in the capacity that, that I make them is around about $15,000, which is a huge outlay and something that typically you would find avenues with which to, and whether those are side hustles or whatever, or, you know, kind of find ways to make that money back uh, so that two years later you could then re-put that money back into making another record. You also mentioned earlier that you're currently taking yourself leave without pay because of what we're going through. So that 15K is not going to be as close as one would hope. And I acknowledge that quite deeply. How do you engage with the music community? Keeping abreast of what's happening online with friends, listening to their music, uh, commenting on it. The physical nature, which is a big thing, is just especially, you know, in Brisbane, you'll go out, you'll go to a venue. And because it's such a tight knit community, see so many people in a night that you know across all parts of um, the music sphere you know whether people who just love and digest music and are always at shows whether it's people who are you know photographers or radio announcers or other musicians or support industry there's just so much of a community around music that just exists from just going out to see it or just even living in the area you know there's so many people like when you walk out the street, you wave to that. I, I wouldn't know if it wasn't for music. What it is is just, yeah, feeling like you're part of a really an extended family. Tara Simmons, who her album was released in recent weeks, and on that record is that sense of many people getting together to making sure that a record actually gets released. I just get that feeling that's the Briz Vegas vibe. Yeah, 100%. I think that that record is a 
beautiful example and it was amazing to it, it was sad that we couldn't have the in-person event um, that we were going to have but the online one was lovely I tuned in on Sunday to that event I think that Yanto did a fantastic job uh, ensuring that what Tara envisioned for the record was possible you know I knew Tara as well and she's a wonderful person it's lovely to see that there's you know a legacy in that that record and the community got around it as much as they did there was people that got involved all across the board you know like Sam Hales from Jungle Giants got involved yeah Dean McGrath former Hungry Kids of Hungary and and Rolls Bass do some beautiful work there as well Chris O'Neill on drums and James Wright on drums on a track as well it was that it was just like who are the people that can make this record really sing and help out help Tara in that time and now yeah we have thankfully a really beautiful record now one of the, the gutsiest women I've ever met in the Australian music scene. It's just outstanding the work that she was able to do during those last few days when some very, as we'll discuss with Yanto uh, for the listener, some very determined days on her behalf. Oh, 100%. Even following so closely during that time, what Tara was putting out on social media as well and, and how open she was about her journey right to the end and then even doing those studio sessions, doing those vocal takes from a hospital bed is is just, yeah, it's a lot. Hi, my name's Yanto Browning and I'll be coming up on Radio Notes talking about Tara Simmons' final record, Show Me Spirit Till the End. Jeremy, what was the Grant McLennan Fellowship experience like for you as the 2017 recipient? It was life-changing, like, which sounds intense, but it's just true. It was the fact that, you know, I could spend... X amount of time not worrying about living expenses and just create in a very vibrant city where I could kind of, yes, experiment and I guess face some of the things that I had avoided in music, namely was co-writing. I was like, if I want to stay in this biz, I've got to push myself in other ways. And so my time in New York started off with me doing a two-week intensive uh, at NYU which is all raced around songwriting uh, and kind of like run by a bunch of uh, people who had kind of been in the big Grammy game in the 80s and 90s, which is like a great time. I think it's very cool. Like one of the teachers I had that I was showing songs to was one of the co-writers of Billy Ocean's When the Going Gets Tough, The Tough Get Going. And I was like, hell yeah, I'm in the right place. Amazing way to start the trip. And it was intense too because it was, you know, we do a day where they were like, okay, we're going to tell you all we know about this kind of vibe in songwriting. Like maybe today we're going to really hyper-focus on what you want the lyrics in your verse to do or something like that. And then they would set us into groups of three and the group of three would change all the time, but they would set us in a group and they would say, okay, your challenge tonight, and you'd work late into the evening, is to write a song based on this brief. And so one of the briefs would have been a pure love song. So you have to write a song with no conflict, but still make it have integrity and hold interest you were getting all these kind of challenges like this getting put into groups of people you had never worked with before and then asked to make something really fantastic which I really enjoyed I made a bunch of great friends and and really challenged myself because I was very afraid of songwriting because of earlier experience in songwriting that were not enjoyable and this kind of really opened me up to what songwriting could be in a co-writing sense and let me know what my role was in songwriting because I guess the biggest thing I took from that is that 
when you're in that room, you don't have to write. If there's three of you, you don't have to write one third exactly of the thing. You don't have to chime in every so often just trying to make sure that you're keeping up with what's going on in that room. Your task and your role in that space might just be to bring a particular vibe. You might be bringing an energy that allows other people to create better. You may just throw one line in the mix that changes everything and makes a song. It might just be the perfect line because you've had this bird's eye view on it. You might be the mediator. You might be able to see these ideas coming in from the two other parties and be like, mm, that's that's pretty good, but I think this way is a bit better. So let's maybe let's go down that path um, and just see where we end up. And we can always come back to the other idea, but I think this one seems really interesting for now. So maybe let's just pursue that. And if we find a dead end, we'll come back to the other idea. So it's those kind of things of, of balancing a room and, and finding out what your place is and just being okay with whatever your role is in that particular session. Is there some of your own material that, through the process you felt more comfortable about sharing with other writers and what I'm suggesting there was you sort of came in with songs that were just yours and that you wouldn't share and then by the end of the process you're like look I trust you here are some things we can work with. We weren't bringing in stuff that we already had but I think when I made those friendships with people I was showing them stuff because it's really it's really comfortable to be in a space with other songwriters who kind of Sometimes when you are writing, you exist on this own, your own little island and you get so caught up in like analyzing this piece so much. And then you've, you're in this community with then all these other songwriters who are doing the exact same kind of thing and say, so understand your experience. And so it was so lovely that afterwards having this group of friends and I would show them what I was working on for what would be the album we were trying to make it out and get their opinions. It was actually just such a lovely release to be able to share that with people who, who understood, I guess, in that way and understood the, the conflict of trying to get the track right. What kind of energy was it injecting into you as a person from Australia who'd landed in America? I guess the main thing was it was just giving me a big sense of kind of a wide open freedom. You know, it was just like there is this, this amount of time you just have to exist and create. It's nice to have clear boundaries, but within those clear boundaries, an open field. Yeah, having that was, was amazing. It allowed me to kind of see what I wanted to really say in the record, which is important because I was usually so reactive being in my home life. I would exist reacting to like, what are I going to do next? What's next? What's next? What's next? That kind of fell away. And I could say, okay, what has this last 10 years even been for me? What is important that I say on this record? Now it's time to go meticulous and getting it right. And that just meant a lot of rehashing lyrics and really just me in a notepad or uh, me and a guitar trying to craft something that was cohesive and, and had something of value to say. Currently in the early 30s and like very much the early 30s, what do you see that next decade being like for you? It's a great question. I mean, going into fatherhood, I want that to take priority. So I'm just going to try and get a rhythm and a routine for that to do that as right as I can and, and craft a nice stable home environment and maybe try in these wild times to kind of have a more stable kind of financial position, I think is important, or at least has been an impression to me from not having that in my own childhood as something that is an important focus. I think that obviously I still want to create, but in a way that is sustainable, not in a way that's like I'm putting it all on the line and I will put it all on the line emotionally, but I probably can't afford to financially. So that changes the output of which at this stage, things could change. I could hit the musical lottery. You never know. Uh, I could have a sleeper hit somewhere, you know. Norway could be loving what I do on this album. And we'll find out in six months' time. 
but I want to approach music in a way that still allows me to create and entertain and still have that community. And I think that'll become apparent. So, you know, whether that's the fact that I'm like, you know, well, look, I've got this kid. I'm singing them all these silly songs all the time. Maybe I'll uh, put out a children's album. Maybe I want to funnel that creativity into a, a T-Rex children's book. Or maybe I don't want to have anything to do with children's music. I want to keep making the music I'm making, but maybe I have to do it in a slightly more lo-fi way or a less meticulous studio kind of way. Or maybe I have to do a genre jump. I know that I want to keep creating, but I know I want stability. So those are the two kind of driving factors that go into my path moving forward. And it's the, you know, it's the juggle of trying to, to maintain that. But it's good to know. It's good to have those buzzwords to mm. guide me in that time. Considering your life story and where things have been, heading into fatherhood, how are you keeping your own mental health ahead of the game? Yeah, I mean, that's been a big trial and error of my life as well. But finding all the things that, you know, have worked to that is mostly, I've been a fan of um, some kind of routine, I think is, is great. But crucial in that routine for me, and it's pretty universally accepted as being exercise. I was a big yoga guy for a number of years. I've gotten back into that now that I'm doing it via TV um, because I can't go out in the world. But I was also, for the last 18 months particularly, uh, really loved the gym, not in a huge, you know, gains way, just in a this is really good for me kind of way. Doing my weekly PT classes and then maintaining a schedule between that. It's been fantastic. I love the sunshine and I love keeping tabs on my self-talk. I think it's very important. It's so hard to pick up on initially sometimes when you start to go down, you know, some kind of spiral of, of poor self-talk, but it is catching yourself out. It is being the watcher of your own thoughts and not being too closely attached to them. I think the easiest way to have a good day is to start the day in a very calm space. So if you can prioritize that first, even if it's just like five minutes of your day, and it's very efficient ways to do it, but I tend to do the kind of thing where you wake up in the morning and then you look around the room and you just name things as you see them. It's like a break in your thought would otherwise be talk, you know, might go straight into, oh, what I got to do today or all the things you might stress about. It's just like, okay, what's around me? And then what can I hear as well? What, what sounds going to hear in the distance? Just engaging those senses. You know, obviously, it's all the baseline meditation stuff of just having a few breaths where you focus entirely on the breath. It's about feeling your body, all of your body that you can, and, you know, contacting with your bed while you're waking up. And if you can start your day in a calm way, you're preventing an avalanche because if you start with a pretty big boulder at the top of that hill, right, that snowball thing, it just gets huge by the end of the day. So I think it's attacking it first on. I think there's very efficient ways to do that. There are as small as one-minute sessions on like the Headspace app and similar apps so your day begins in that space. And you can revisit it later on if you need to, but I think that's really essential. Jeremy Neal. Latest album, We Were Trying to Make It Out through RemoteControl.Dash. They can be found online at jeremyneal.com. few more minutes left of the show left and I just want to squeeze in for you Key Out that's the name of a three-piece indie pop band from Sydney Australia 
They have played in Ides of Space, Sounds Like Sunset, and with Sarah Blasco, featuring Patty Hayde, Rowan Geeds, and Caroline Wake. The brand new album out late June 2020 on Half a Cow Records will be called Anthropomorphia. It was recorded by the band at their home, but then mixed and mastered by no less than Wayne Connolly. I know him of the meanies, but he's worked with the likes of Amy Shark and Matt Corby in his Sydney studio. It's a loose concept album, they say, about animals and suburban existence. The band's Key Out and their forthcoming record, as mentioned, is out on Half a Cow Records. I'll give you some details in the show notes. Next time, we'll be catching up with this lady. My name's Gabby Bolt. My EP is Grey Into Blue, and I'm coming up on Radio Notes. So if you like your TikToks and your Ozpol together, the perfect guest coming up next time here on Radio Notes. Thanks very much to our feature guest this time round, Brisbane's very own Jeremy Neal. RadioNotesPodcast.com for show notes and links. Web design there by Steve Davis. Theme music by Martin Kennedy and All India Radio. I'm Tammy Weller. John Murch is the producer and host based in Adelaide, South Australia.